Union have been asked to provide more details on their plans in just over a week or risk being replaced. And that's all the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Week on 3 with me, Janice Wong, where we look at highlights from the past week here on Radio 3. In the next half hour, we'll hear about a new neighborhood watch for canines to try to put an end to dog poisoning here. Also, on this program, we'll get a preview of the upcoming annual Young Readers Festival. But first, here's something that might interest people who are itching to travel again, but can't because of COVID restrictions. There have been calls for cruises to nowhere, basically seacations that start and end right here in Hong Kong. In normal times, that might not sound too enticing. But Ronald Wu, the chairman of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, told Backchat hosts Hugh Chiverton and Jim Gould that such cruises make perfect sense for both the tourism industry and residents here. The travel trade is actually quite quite disappointed in the fact that um, even up to this point, our... um Local tours or any tour activities have not received exemption, even though uh, theme parks, attractions, cinemas have now have, have gotten further exemption to, to allow more people to use the venue. So I think, you know, um, having the cruise, you know, where, um, will, will definitely serve as a, as a good trial run for us to prepare once the, um, the pandemic is under control, we can kickstart our activities again. At the start of the pandemic, there were outbreaks of uh, coronavirus on board the cruise ships. Um, what steps have been taken since then to try to make sure that um, such an outbreak wouldn't happen again? I think people, including both the passengers and the cruise company, are now much more prepared or, or they, they're aware of what needs to be done to avoid the spread again. Social distancing, masks on everywhere, sanitizer. So I think... We, we do have the ability, not, not, only from, not only from the crews, but also from the passengers' education, so that you know, they, they're aware of what to do and what not to do at this point in order to, to be able to travel. So what would be the appeal if the cruise ship just goes out to international waters or whatever uh, and comes back again? I, I think at this stage, if, if you look at um, Hong Kong on the weekends, you know, um, a lot of hotels for, for vacation, um, people are going hiking. It's more because, you know, we do not have a choice to go anywhere now and Hong Kong, Hong Kong people love to travel so much that even a two-day, one night at the sea, you know, I'm sure they will, they will enjoy the facilities on board and uh, just, just to get a bit of fresh air and also, you know, just, just to get that vacation feeling going again. And what would they offer in terms of uh, in dining, entertainment, that sort of thing? Would they have buffets, for yeah. example? <laughs> Um, I'm sure they will. They will have a strict social distancing policy. I'm not sure about buffet. Maybe it'll be all be um, all be a la carte or all be fixed menu. Um, again, I, I I don't have details on that, mm. but I think you know swimming pools, outdoor sports court. Uh, not sure about show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about um, you know restrictions? Do you think that people should be tested before they go aboard? Do you think that uh, it should be restricted to people who have had the vaccine or things like that? Um, I, I think the line needs to be set so that everybody is safe on board. Because you're talking about a few hundred people staying in the same sort of the same cruise for, for at least two days, right? 
I think I think a testing before after is, is probably a must in order to get on on board. Do you think they'd be popular? Do you think people would go? I, I think so. I mean, um, it's, again, it's, it's not something that's long lasting, so to speak. But but it's, it's a kickstart so that um, people will will get to experience the patient again. So I think if cruise companies decide to do this to nowhere, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets filled up uh, quickly, at least for the first few sailings. Okay, also I just uh, called us, is, uh, is Jeff Bent, who's, uh, who runs the, uh, the uh, cruise terminal uh, in Calais. Mr. Bent, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, 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 hi. What's your take on this? Well, I just wanted to share that since last summer when um, cruise restarted in a number of jurisdictions, um, including in um, Europe, in the, in the EU, that cruise lines have carried over 400,000 passengers and there have been fewer than 50 cases of COVID and they were all contained and, and, not, and not spread. So it's actually um, including the universal testing um, that, that your guest was just talking about is, is maybe the safest form of vacation around. So everyone has to have a test before they can get on board? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, the, 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 the trouble is, you know, as the word, there was an outbreak, as we were saying, you know, right at the beginning, and there's, there's a lot of people living in, in close proximity, and you can't get away, can you? And that was the sort of, that was the, the, the terrible thing, wasn't it? That there was an outbreak on board a ship, but you just can't escape. That, that's still going to be a problem, isn't it? The plan for resumption in most places is to start with 50% capacity on board the ships. So that um, guarantees a, a certain amount of social distancing. But then on top of that, you know, for example, you asked about buffets. My understanding is that um, you, you point and a server serves you what, you what you want. There's no common handling of utensils. But the, I mean, I think the statistics um, show that um, in fact, it can be very well handled on board a on board a cruise ship, given the testing and you know much more advanced social distancing. All the cruise lines have increased the medical facilities on board. Um, so, so in addition to ensuring 100% um, fresh air and guest areas, a high number of air turns, you know, there's also um, more doctors, negative pressure rooms. All of these, all of these things are there just in case. But really. The, um, the universal testing and, and uh, social distancing should put people's minds at ease. I mean, it's, it's yeah, proven to be much safer than staying on land, I would say. And, and it's restarted in Europe. It's restarting in the UK next month. It restarted in Japan last year. All of the, all of the Caribbean islands are restarting over the summer. That's Jeff Bench, the Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals, and Ronald Wu, the Chairman of the Hong Kong Association of Travel Agents, speaking on our Backchat program. Well, you know how the saying goes, dogs are man's best friend. So it's no surprise that a group of animal lovers have formed Gamma.HKG, a neighborhood watch for canines that will hopefully put an end to dog poisoning incidents in Hong Kong. Mia Fong, the founder of the group, named it after her golden retriever, who died after eating laced meat at Cyberport in early February. Fifteen other dogs were also poisoned on the same day at the same park, and seven of them died. Mia first told James Ross on our Morning Brew program. 
what happened on that tragic day. We、uh, had gone down to Cyberport for a pretty short amount of time, two hours, with Gamma, our golden retriever. And、uh, in the span of two hours, you know, she was fine. She was doing her usual sniffing around. We were playing with our kids, and later that afternoon, my husband noticed her panting quite heavily and not feeling well. It seemed so. Took her downstairs, and she immediately threw up.、Uh, and we had just received a message about.、Um, Dogs being poisoned、uh, that day and being brought、mm. to the hospital, and so he sped off to our vet, who happens to be、uh, relatively nearby. And from there, it just very quickly went downhill.、Um, she was、uh, induced to vomit、um, through these eye drops. She was given activated charcoal. She was put in a drip to try to bring her temperature down, which had shot up to over forty degrees Celsius. Her、wow. heartbeat was at. Two hundred beats a minute,、um, and yeah, eventually she was put into a coma to try to calm her body down.、Uh, but we lost her. I think then I think her heart just sort of gave out, and、um, it was a really, I mean, sort of shocking、um, day. She she died. She got taken away. Her body was still warm. And we had to ask、um, the nurses at the hospital if she really was dead, and、um, you know there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of、sure. confusion as to why someone would do this. And、uh, shortly after that, I really thought, you know, we really have to do something about this.、Mm. Uh, I'm not going to get my dog back, but maybe we can prevent other people from losing their dogs the same way. Do you do you have any idea? So, what exactly was it that she ate? Did you? Did, yeah, I mean, it's some kind of meat, right? With the with the poison、yeah. inside. I mean, I think that the sort of visual trigger for my husband was actually seeing a photo that has been circulated many times of a piece of spam with a bright yellow powder embedded in it.、Hmm. Um, because we know exactly what we feed her, and when she had vomited, you could see pieces of、um, unprocessed. Sort of food which looked like spam, which we don't feed her. Sure. So, so we are convinced, yeah, that it probably is the same thing. And her vomit was taken to the labs、uh, for testing by the police as well. Well, I'm so sorry about、uh, your loss. Now, tell us a little bit, Mia, about you know the plan for this group and wh- what is the idea? The idea is that you're going to sort of look out for potential poison in the parks. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was just thinking, you know, at least、uh, I can draw examples from maybe the U.S., where a neighborhood watch is a concept that's quite common in a neighborhood where neighbors really look out for each other. And I was thinking, you know, it's been so many years and so many dogs that have been poisoned across many areas of Hong Kong. Yeah. We need to actually actively do something about looking out for other dogs, and that's not to say that it hasn't happened before. You know, because people do pick up、um, suspicious foods and they they post it、um, on sort of social media accounts like Hong Kong Dog Rescue (SBCA). But I was thinking that it needs to be done in a much more systematic way, a logical way. Uh, so that we don't rely on just social media accounts to get this type of information as to where dogs have been poisoned, you know, what day it was found, and so on and so forth. So, my hope is that volunteers 
go out and actively look for uh, suspicious foods and not just, you know, happenstance, just come across it and report it, but actually actively look out for it. They provide for me the data, dropping a pin on a map as to exactly where it is, and I can put it onto a Google map layer, which I've created, and that is open to the public. So anyone in the future who goes to any of these areas, you know, to play with their dog could check on the map and say, oh, well, in the last six months, you know, 10 dogs have been poisoned in this area. Maybe I should go somewhere else or I can be more careful. Um, So yeah, it's just about creating more awareness. It's not so much trying to actually trap the poisoner. I think that might be quite difficult given the many locations where this has happened. The fact that there are probably many poisoners and not just one person. But at least if we can take away the poison, then we don't give that crazy lunatic a chance to hurt our pets. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a great idea. Now, how could how can people get involved in this? Well, first of all, they can follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts. The handle is gamma.hkg, and there we have uh, posted information on how we want to go about this, some general guidelines to follow, which I think would be helpful. And uh, on the 17th of April, we do have sort of a group walk, loosely, of course, because of the COVID restrictions, but just to bring a bit of awareness to the areas where many dogs have been poisoned. Um, And then really the hope is that volunteers actually do this work of going to actively look out for poison on their own accord and their own time rather than wait for an organized event which is logistically difficult for me as an organizer and also for all the participants you know life happens we don't have time to go to um a park at a specific time but if in their own time they can do it at random intervals therefore and a random amount of time i think that also makes it more difficult for the poison to be sitting out for a long time um thereby really just sort of like lowering the chances that uh, a dog eats it And that was Mia Fong, the founder of Gamma.hkg, speaking on our Morning Brew program. Here at Radio 3, we are getting very excited for the 2021 Hong Kong Young Readers Festival. As its name suggests, the aim is to encourage young people to read more. Catherine Platt and Anne Chan from the International Literary Festival, who are organizing the event, gave Noreen Mir more details about the festival on our 123 show and began by telling us what we can expect this year. We're kind of presenting a hybrid program of virtual school visits. As you mentioned before, it will run from the 19th to the 30th of April, so it's pretty soon in around two weeks' time. Um, mainly our schools program is open to, you know, just schools, international schools, local schools, but we're hoping to make it more accessible to the public. So we are planning a series of weekend events, but we're still in the planning process of it. And we're kind of hoping this will offer children the opportunity to improve their English skills and also provide a gateway 
to um, cultural exchange and just learn more from both local authors and international authors that we have this year. And it's so important, you know, when you hold these public events, because then it really gives a sense of community as well. Uh, I mean, children are at school for the most part. And, and I think your timing couldn't be better now that, you know, schools are resuming full time, thankfully. Um, and also mm-hmm. it, it looks like uh, the, the pandemic is under control. Fingers crossed. Uh, your public events should 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 go on, <laughs> keeping everything crossed. Um, I, I'm, you know, we're, we're such big fans of, of the literary festival and, of course, the Young Readers festival because i think it really showcases a lot of uh, local talents that we have in hong kong and i'm always amazed by just how many talented uh, local authors we have here so perhaps you can uh, you know go through and tell us a little bit more about some of the authors that we have this year sure um we have so both local authors and international authors like always um but this year our international authors will have to join us virtually So, you know, on Zoom or Google Hangouts. Um, We do have a really exciting lineup. We do have quite a few authors um, from Battle of the Books. So, you know, we think that schools will really enjoy having them come in online for talks. And we think it will be pretty relevant for the kids as well. We do have Jerry Craft, who is the New York Times bestselling and Newbery Medal winner of graphic novel New Kid. And we have Cynthia Karohata, who was also a National Book Award winner okay. um, for The Thing About Luck. And Dan Gemeinhart, who also is the author of five books for younger readers. And we actually have quite a few graphic novel um, authors and illustrators this year. Um, A lot of schools are pretty um, excited about Victoria Jameson. So she is an author and an illustrator of graphic novels, including um, Roller Girl, which won a Newbury Honor Prize. And we have Craig Phillips from New Zealand, who is also a, you know, a children's book author and illustrator. And Connor McCreary, he is from Canada. And he has this really interesting series called Kill Shakespeare. It's about like all of Shakespeare's characters trying to (laughs) gang up and uh, kill their creator. Um, And, you know, not only international, but we do have our local um, authors. So it's always nice to reach out to authors, locally Hong Kong authors. And they're also able to go into schools to do any live events, because I'm sure a lot of kids are kind of zoomed out of online meetings nowadays. So it's always good to provide that option for them. Uh, We do have um, the local theater group, Dovetails, and they are Hong Kong's premier children's theater company. And they do a lot of drama workshops, school productions, um, English language musicals and dramas. Um, And we'll also have more authors, local authors, who will join us for the um, weekend events, the live events. So I think maybe Catherine can go through them later. So, uh, Catherine, welcome on on the show. By the way, Anne, love your background. For our listeners, if you can join us on Facebook, (laughs) uh, do join us. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, You'll be able to see the beautiful background for for both Anne and Catherine, who's currently in in quarantine. So thank you for for joining us, Catherine. Tell us a little bit more um, about this year's festival. I mean, what makes this year uh, so special? 
Well, many things, as um, and Anne has mentioned about the fantastic lineup of authors we have that we're, we're very excited about. Um, and then another thing that's new and um, very noteworthy this year, it's the first year that we've offered um, a bilingual um, program, you know, author events available in both Chinese and English. Um, and that's thanks to a collaboration um, that's new this year with Bring Me a Book Hong Kong. Um, who are a leading literacy charity. I think the leading wonderful family charity. Yes. Organization. Yeah, here in Hong Kong. Absolutely wonderful. And they do amazing work with um, um, libraries and um, you know, tr tr trainings and resources for parents and teachers alike. Um, so they, we're working with them. They've put together a list of um, Chinese-speaking um, authors. So in addition to, we have, I think, 21 um, English language authors um, and one theater group, um, Dovetails, as Anne mentioned. Um, and then we also have, through Bring Me a Book, five um, Chinese language authors, um, Shana Chung, who's based here in Hong Kong. And then we also have authors from, who are in mainland China and Taiwan. So that's very exciting and that's um, a part of you know what we want to do around making the festival accessible really accessible um, both in terms of through schools um, you know we work we work with um, the sort of core group of schools that we often work with but we've tried to reach out further this year and again through bring me a book we we really um, sent our materials out I think to pretty much every school in Hong Kong so so um, that's very exciting. That's very um, exciting indeed. And what, what's the uptake like? I mean, our school's quite keen to sort of, uh, I suppose this year, as Anne mentioned, you know, they're probably all zoomed out and it's probably a lot to catch upon in terms of their curriculum. I mean, how keen are they to actually get some authors to, to speak to them directly so that they'll be able to meet the authors? Well, I mean, the, the enthusiasm is very high. We've had wonderful feedback and I, um, I think a lot of appreciation for the range of authors that we have and, um, and the options. But as you say, I mean, it's tricky with scheduling this year because a lot of schools are um, working in a shorter school day at the moment. So um, fitting in these types of um, additional events, I know it's really a, it's a challenge. And um, uh, um, so we, I mean, we've, we've, we've got bookings coming in and we've still got time. So, you know, if you're listening, talk to your children's school, ask them if they've booked an author yet. There's still, there's still lots of time to do that um, through us or, and through Bring Me a Book as well. That's Catherine Platt and Anne Chan from the International Literary Festival speaking on our 123 show. Well, if you're on your way or getting ready for a nice visit to the countryside, remember to bring your rubbish with you when you leave. Many photos shared online recently showed mounds of rubbish piled next to overflowing bins at scenic spots over the Easter and Qingming holiday. And the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department says it collected over 190 tonnes of garbage from country parks and outlying islands over the same period. Henry Lowe, a senior conservation manager at the environmental group Green Power, told Richard Pine on our News Wrap programme it's a big problem that needs to be addressed with education. There is quite a lot of rubbish all around the countryside. Yes, it's quite a serious problem. And also, we always see some hygiene products just like the disposable masks and wet tissue. I think it's quite common in, in countryside now. 
Mm, right. A lot of these people may be first-time visitors, or they don't regularly go hiking or to the islands. Do you think that's part of the reason why we're seeing so much rubbish piling up? Oh yes, yes. Because actually, we have a survey on the rubbish problem in the Hong Kong countryside. We interviewed the people who usually go to a countryside, not not some layman. We have found that during this pandemic period, some people go more frequently, but also some because the pandemic problem, they go less on the countryside. So I think the people who usually go to countryside not increase much. But uh, if we go to countryside, there are many, many people. I think many of them are not usually go to countryside. They they also go there. Since um, 2017, the government's been removing rubbish bins from the countryside. Do you think people who are used to going, they they've developed that habit of taking their rubbish with them? I think for people who have the habit of going countryside, they will bring their rubbish away. Because also from our survey, we we found that they don't know that, and they they agree that they should take away their rubbish. But because uh, some people don't always go to countryside, they may not prepare well, so maybe they just dispose the rubbish on the countryside. Do you think that more should be done to educate them? I think yes. I think more education on them to let them know the problem of leave the rubbish on the countryside have many many problems. I think need to educate them, but uh, I think <laughs> this is the best ways to solve the problem. Mm, how about since uh, this sort of situation was expected, is it worth maybe putting even more rubbish bins back in the countryside now just to, to cope uh, with this? I don't think so. Because if you leave the rubbish bin in the countryside, there are many other problems. I think it's not <laughs> the, the right solution. Because as, as maybe some animals will uh, take away the rubbish and the wind blew away the rubbish, I, I don't think it's a good solution. And, and I think people bring their rubbish back to the urban area is, the, is better. So can you just give us some advice for people who maybe don't go out that often? And what, what should they be doing when they actually go out? I think they should pay attention not leaving the rubbish on the countryside and uh, I think they should prepare well maybe they take some food without package to the countryside and maybe also prepare waterproof bag when there is rubbish they can keep it in the bed and take it back to the urban area to, to live That's Henry Lowe from Green Power speaking on our Newswrap program And finally, to close this week on three, I leave you with a bit of Steve James and his afternoon drive. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. And now, a serious breach of social decorum. Do I know you? Radio 3 presents Steve James. I say we judge him by what he does next. Okay, um, I think I've got a new segment on the program. I'm going to call it, uh, That Isn't Weird At All. It stems from a uh, thing I was reading earlier this week. Researchers have found that people are squeamish. Listen to this carefully. People are squeamish about touching a robot in what would be a private place on humans. I know that I haven't made that. Why would I make that up? The research was designed to help engineers decide where and where not to design the plug-in for the robot's recharging cord. Health news this hour. Uh, a study has found that eating walnuts daily... Do like a nice walnut. If you eat them daily, it lowers your cholesterol without increasing your weight. 
uh, the study was actually funded by the California Walnut Commission. So basically from here on, I need to ignore the results which claim that walnuts increase your IQ and give you invisibility. Not true. Or like in this one, uh, once again, it's them, their researchers, they know you know, saying that knowing two or more languages makes it easier to learn additional languages. Knowing two or more languages, which is great for me because I know uh, profanity, I know sarcasm. So learning a fourth language is going to be easy. This day, 1965, Unit 4 Plus 2 were at number one on the UK singles chart with Concrete and Clay. It was the English group's only number one hit. You to me are sweet as roses in the morning. To me, a soft as summer rain and don't in love with shade. That's something red. The sidewalks in the street, the concrete and the clay beneath my feet begins to crumble. But love will never die because we'll see the mountain stumble before we say goodbye. My love and I will be in love eternally. That's the way. Before we say goodbye, my love and I. 